Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Chamber Breakers, presented by Verizon Business and Yahoo Finance. I'm Leanna Brindid, head of Yahoo Finance UK. And I'm Xavier White, CSR and Innovation Marketing Manager of Verizon Business. During this series, Liana and I will be inviting thought leaders to break the echo chambers surrounding key social issues. This season, we're focused on CSR at a time of global crisis and the impact it is having on mental health. We're delighted to welcome Christina McKelvey, Scottish Minister for Older People and Equalities, who will begin today's episode with a brief talk on the challenges older populations are facing. One of the things that I'm acutely aware of as the Minister for Older People is the potential of the increase of social isolation and loneliness as a result of COVID-19 and the impact that can have on an individual's mental health and well-being. So for us, social isolation and loneliness is a big issue in Scotland. I lead on this piece of work. So as the Minister for Older People and Equalities with the responsibility of our social isolation and loneliness strategy, I've ensured that we we have been building basically a cutting edge social isolation and loneliness strategy in Scotland. It's called a Connected Scotland. There's lots of different uh, opportunities and events, but actually some of it needs to be connected up with people who needed it. One of the, the brilliant pieces of work that I love doing is with one of our national organisations who are called the Befriending Networks. And there's another organisation called Generations Working Together. They basically do what they say on, on the tin. Um, and we also have the Age Scotland Helpline, which provides support, advice, and friendship. And we've also provided a lot um, of support for our local organisations. So through the Wellbeing Fund, uh, we've already been able to support 344 local projects. I had to look that and check it, but representing over um, £8 million worth of funding going directly to work in communities across Scotland. And it's that important bit about uh, the Connected Scotland part is how do you connect people with their communities? So it's that very close grassroots um, connections being made there. Um, I also recognise that social isolation and loneliness affects people of every age and every stage and our strategy takes that into account. And the pandemic has highlighted some of that in a way that maybe most people would never have imagined a few months ago. And although we had a strategy now going on for two years to tackle this, and we had pretty strong building blocks and a national implementation group who are those stakeholders, uh, we, we realised that there would be a, a group of people because of the pandemic, whether you're shielded, you're at risk, you're more vulnerable, you know, you're separated from your family because of physical distance and all of that, that we'd have a new tranche of people coming through who would be affected by social isolation and loneliness. We know in Scotland that social isolation and loneliness has an impact on your general health and wellbeing of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's why it's incredibly important. So turning to mental health and the real importance and the, the importance that we place on that in government is that we know that people were experiencing stress, anxiety, uh, you know, during really exceptional and uncertain times. And I, I was listening to a phone-in in the radio this morning where we have given additional advice in Scotland and, and extended shielding for a bit longer, for another six weeks. And some people phone in and say, oh, my God, I can't cope with another six weeks. And other people saying, thank goodness, because I was too scared anyway. So people are already sitting in that really anxious place, what type of impact does that have 
on their mental health and well-being. So we we launched the 21st of April, you might have heard this, um, a marketing campaign called Clear Your Head. And it's to help our population, including older people, look after their mental health um, and, and, and well-being. But during uh, and after uh, the COVID uh, outbreak, I think one of the key things that we realised very quickly is that COVID's exposed a lot of the challenges that we we're already focusing on anyway, but exposed it maybe for more people and in a more acute way for some people. So that Clue Your Head campaign is something that's it, it came at the right time, but also it's something we could probably continue into the, the future as well. Because one of the things that I think we'll realise is that the, the impact of COVID for many people won't be felt until after uh, COVID is over, really. It's, it's the residual bereavement. As restrictions start to change and we start to lift them, there will be people feeling worried about get, getting out more. And that's why the Clear Your Head campaign and the website contains a number of resources uh, for support. And it's full of brilliant information. So if, if anything comes out of this podcast today, please go to the Clear Your Head website and use some of the resources there. We have a, a, a national assistance helpline for people who are asked to isolate. And the number is 0800 we're not saying we've we've connected with everyone who needs it, but I don't know a street now that a neighbour has not knocked a door and said, do you need some messages? Do you need a prescription? How about, you know, we have a cup of tea over the, the hedge? And I see it in my local area and I see it everywhere else. And it's about building that sense of community. If COVID's taught us anything, it's taught us that we understand what's really important and it's humanity, isn't it? 
you know, frail older people sitting in their homes with their fire turned up and their door locked. They are particularly active individuals. And one of the things that they wanted us in our older people strategy to bring forward was to change some of the language because the language that we use can underpin some of the discrimination and the ageism that, that we see. So when you describe someone as elderly, the picture you get in your head is a frail old person with a walking stick or a zimmer, whereas if I talk about my action forum... <laughs> That gives you a much, much uh, different view of, of, of people. It's also about what what do, what do they bring? You know, all that wisdom, lived experience, all the mistakes they made that we're all going to make. And they'll tell us anyway and we'll not listen. But, you know, <laughs> I get, you know, it, just how important that is. So if we can change the narrative of how, how, how we treat older people, how we, you know, value older people uh, and how we, we use older people to inform the work that we do. And that's why the piece of work that I do with Generations Working Together is magical because it is really a fantastic, um, loads of projects all over Scotland where older people are supporting younger people, younger people are supporting older people, breaks down all of those barriers, breaks down some of the fear factors and the perceptions of fear between older people and younger people and makes for absolutely magical relationships that I've just seen blossom. It's wonderful. So you get that language right, you then approach it from a very, very different point of view. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned Generations Working Together at Verizon. We're actually really pleased to have worked with them as an organisation. Nah. Uh, we, we met them through business in the community and our volunteers have been giving them consultation on how to transition their services to digital and we're, we're delighted to have worked with them. What I was wondering about that is obviously you mentioned intergenerational learning, generations working together do some really great things. Do you think there's a benefit to businesses getting involved in that? Because often it's the young and the old, but the businesses sort of sit in the middle. Do you think there's a place for businesses to play in intergenerational learning? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've got um, business in the community uh, consulting on both my OPSAF group, my Older People Strategic Action Forum, and the National Implementation Group for Social Isolation and Loneliness Strategy. So we had a smashing event with um, Cynthia Marks from uh, BITC at Christmas time. Then we launched we launched our, our social isolation and loneliness strategy at Christmas the year before because that felt like an important time to do that because a time of family, people to come in together. But for lots of people, Christmas is a miserable time because they don't get to see people that they love. So we had the business and community event just before Christmas. Um, 2019, it seems so long ago now, um, and, and we worked very closely with business in the community. And one of the pieces of work that they spoke about at that event was how social isolation and loneliness, especially for the older workforce, has an impact on, you know, how they work, how the workplace works, how they can work together. Um, and Generations Working Together were really keen for working with business in the community. And I'm glad that they've worked with you. But, you know, getting that digital connection right as well. Absolutely, there is a place for business because many people work in either you know, they're older age now as well. Many businesses will rely on older workers because of their lived experience and, you know, their qualifications and, and all of the wisdom that, that they, can, they can bring into a workplace and how they can use that then to bring up the, the younger workforce and support the younger workforce as well. So I just see it as a win-win for everybody if you've got much better sort of a social responsibility policies and, and value and support your workforce across all of its challenges and transitions, especially older work, workforce as well. Um, and, you know, it can only benefit a business. There's no doubt about that. Um, you've talked a, a little about people that are in the, the older demographic that have retired and people that are still in the workplace. But I was wondering about that, that divide, that transition from being an old person in the workplace and the challenges that you face there 
to them being retired. Are there mm-hmm. specific mental health implications of retiring? Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. And um, what we realised from the work that we did in the older people's um, a forum and the work they were doing on social isolation and loneliness is those key transitions in life could be the trigger points for, for changes that could either po- be positive or negative. And for a lot of old, older people, um, if you're retiring from your, your workplace, for some who have been there for many years, their whole social circle, uh, the whole life maybe for some people is their workplace, and that can be a real you know trigger point for for um, you know poor mental health and, and all of the disconnection and loss that, that you feel from that. For many other older people, it's a release. It's, you know, a time of change, maybe a time to travel, a time to, you know, get creative and do the things that you've always been putting off, you know, like painting the shed and all, all of the things, or getting involved as a volunteer, because many, many older people, especially in Scotland, are the backbone of our, our volunteering workforce in that sense. And then you see people who have maybe uh, have been working really hard all their life and they retire and they transform into something completely different. I certainly see that when I have colleagues who have retired for this place, um, who you see a few months later and they look wonderful and you think, maybe it's time to go to politics, maybe that's why I'm starting to feel a bit uh, old and battered. But, uh, you know, you, you see that. So there's, there's the, it, it's it's difficult getting that, that balance right. And I suppose, you know, some of the work that we do in preparing people for retirement is very, very important here, you know, giving them the connections to volunteering opportunities or other creative um, opportunities. One of the things that we try to get some of our older people uh, to to get involved in is all of our public boards, because you could have lots of really valued, experienced and wise people on some of our public boards as well as having some young people and and make it much more diverse as well so that that we understand the the needs. So uh, there's there's a, a a lot that you can do in the preparation for retirement that would maybe stave off some of that but there is definitely people who feel that disconnection that loss um, and and you know the end to a part of their life that uh, whether made them feel useful and whether they feel not useful now so getting those right connections during that preparation for retirement I think is incredibly important it's one of the areas where the business and community people could really do uh, a bit a bit more work um, uh, I think we all need to do a bit more work on that is how do we prepare people for retirement so they don't end up in those those poor mental health situations so Christina as you talked about before the um the onset of coronavirus and the fact that it's enforced, um, isolation and it looks like it could be into 2021 until things become a bit of a more of a new normal and of course with older people they are in more the medically um, vulnerable bracket so right now what are you seeing as the immediate concerns from the community that you speak to all the time and what can people do right now in order to help that community when there's so much pressure on people in general mental health because of this lockdown? Yeah, I think that's a really, really uh, important question because it, it, it leads to the point of where people feel as if they've lost time. So the people that I speak to that I know um, who are older people are thinking, you know, five months in, in a shielding situation, because we're taking it up to the end of July, you know, it might be a bit longer, maybe longer if we don't have a vaccine. You know, that valuable, precious time, you know, not being able to see family, 
not being able to take part in family events, whether, you know, it's to grieve properly if you've lost someone, weddings, you know, uh, Kristen's babies being born. <laughs> um, you know, people, I think it's it's that classic saying of you don't know what you miss until you've not got it anymore. You don't know what you've lost until you've not got it anymore. Uh, and I suppose that that time element is the thing that's most important for those older people. So some of them are anxious for lockdown and for shielding to end. Some of them understand the challenges and the risks in that, you know, but people just want to be able to live their life and live the best life they possibly can. So I think for the people I'm speaking to, the biggest issue is that lost time and lamenting the loss of that time as well. It's it, that, that can be tough. And even just that thought process could lead to poor mental health as well. Yeah. Taking that, that thought of poor mental health, um, you mentioned earlier that loneliness is as bad as 15 cigarettes. That's, that's quite shocking. It's a, an interesting thing to hear. Um, and you mentioned also old people being lonely at Christmas. Now I was thinking, actually, a lot of people are lonely at Christmas. Mm. Fewer people are getting married, more immigration, seeing more people moving away from families, etc. Is there a scope for loneliness initiatives to actually cross over, to work with older people, to perhaps match them up with others who are alone? Is there something that we could do to help the consequences of loneliness in general, not just in this demographic and then also are there learnings that you've had from the old people that you could transfer to the rest of society yeah our our social isolation and loneliness strategy um, covers every age and every stage in life and actually uh, we added some uh, data questions to our scottish um, social attitude survey in scotland um, on basically asking people how lonely do you feel because we knew lots of anecdotal evidence and we knew about the impact of loneliness on people, but we didn't actually know how many people in Scotland felt lonely. Uh, so we've, we started to add some of those questions and we're building up that data now. And it's really interesting because apart from older people of being a category of, of people who are um, socially isolated and lonely the most, the other category and the edge to be bit forward in older people was young mums was women who had just had babies. Uh, and can you imagine if you've just had a baby in lockdown uh, and the impact that will have on you as well? It's, and it's then the educational opportunities, the employment opportunities and how those can become very, very limited to being mum, um, which is a wonderful time for, for, for many people. Um, but it was for some people and some young women that the, the most uh, vulnerable time for them to be socially isolated and lonely. So our strategy covers every age and every stage. And our Older people's work, we have specific sections in there on social isolation loneliness that links back to our main strategy. And our main, main strategy, as I said, is informed very, very closely by stakeholders. I'm um, a great believer in lovely strategies as long as they've got action points in them and we can measure those actions and then we can identify where we're not doing as much as we should and we can take action to address that. So it's great to have a strategy, but I wanted to make sure it was driven by the people that mattered and that's why we have our implementation groups. So the strategy is the vehicle and all of our groups are the drivers. So the people that sit on that are incredibly important. Their experience and what they can bring is incredibly important. So Generations Work Together is a key partner. You'll, you'll not be surprised. Age Scotland is a key partner. There are veterans organisations, because that's another group of society. Um, our race organisations, we've got an amazing um, ethnic minority um, older people's network in Scotland who we have funded um, to feed people 
um, directly. So people who are shielding, people who are vulnerable, people who are at risk, they've been getting fed now um, every day uh, by our older people's um, ethnic minority network uh, culturally appropriate food because we're, we're sending out a shielding box with essentials in it for people but my first question when I seen the shielding box what 10, 11, 12 weeks ago was can we make sure this is culturally appropriate well how can we do that and all these organisations then said well we're a network we can provide that so we went there's the money go and do it and it's wonderful to see, see that type of connection because not only is that feeding people keeping people nourished it's keeping people connected as well and that's really important so so those groups sit on our national implementation group the creative arts sit on our national implement implementation group and we've got an amazing festival in scotland if you ever get a chance to see it when it comes back it's called illuminate and it's a festival for creatives by creatives for older people it's fantastic singing and dancing and all sorts of amazing shows and pantos and, you know, uh, book readings and poetry writing and oh, just, fa it's fabulous. It's absolutely fabulous. And it's got a real lovely dynamic to it as well. So we've got all of those people on board. We've also got our transport people on board as well, pardon the pun, on board. Because for a lot of people, physical connections and using transport is incredibly important as well. So we've got um, we've got the National Concession Card here, here in Scotland uh, and we've got lots of ways that we fund um, community transport links as well uh, and, and they all sit on this as well because it can't just be about, this is a great idea, it has to be about what do we actually need to do to create the connections that people need and whether that's a transport connection, whether it's a connection with a community group, whether it's a connection with a statutory or funded body, then all of that is, 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 being, is being done anyway. But actually it came into its own because of COVID, because we already had all those networks up and running and they were able to just repurpose, just refocus and focus right in on the people who needed it most. And we've got a brilliant story to tell. I'm not saying that we've not managed to, you know, cover everybody and make everybody happy. We'll never be able to do that and, you know, tell me a government who has, but um, it could not have happened without the amazing relationship that we currently have with our stakeholders in Scotland. And that's why they're the most important people for me. Great. I mean, there are definitely something, um, just something quickly that I want to follow up. There's all those amazing, amazing initiatives um, there. But how important is it for um, you as the minister to um, delineate and um, delineate between being alone and being lonely yeah. and how important it is to have that understanding in order to enact on these initiatives? Yeah, and it, that, that's a, a very clear question that, that we set out because some people might not want you to chat their door or to offer them a connection or to say you should be doing this. They might just say, I'm absolutely fine, Hen. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> I'm fine. Um, it, but it, it's just been able to, to, you know, ensure that people know, know what's there, there as well. So for some people, you know, it's, it's about what they want to do. Uh, and I, th I think if you've got a diversity of choice and people know that it's there, then they will they will dip in and out when it suits them. And that goes back to that point that I made in my opening remarks about being kind to yourself and doing things that you love to do. Um, for some people, the things they love to do is to go and walk up a mountain in Scotland and not see another soul for 12 hours. And, and for some people, it's just knowing what's there and whether they can dip in and use it when, when, when they want to or, or not in, in that occasion. I'll tell you a wee story. There's a brilliant social enterprise in Edinburgh called Bridge, um, Bridge Farm. 
and it's mainly all adults with learning disabilities that run it. And it's got a great exhibition space. There's lots of artwork and stuff because in there we've had some of our national implementation group meetings in there because the cafe bakes the best scones. Believe me, the best. Um, but I was out there uh, when we launched uh, the strategy and they were telling me a story about the, the lane that runs up the side of it. There's a cemetery at the end of the lane and they watched this man going up every day, coming back down, stopping, having a wee look over to see what they were doing. And one of the, there's a, an apps worker there stopped and says, oh, we just watched you going up in that lane. And he's like, my wife died six months ago and I've just come up and see her every day and I've got nothing else in my life. And she was my life. And they started chatting and it turned out the man was a fine artist. And they says, well, we're looking for somebody to get involved here. So they made them feel useful. They says, we, we could really do with your skills here. But actually what they did was dealt with his loneliness as well. So he was someone who didn't actually really realise he was that lonely until he was then connected by some people. So he comes in two days a week, teaches art, um, you know, gets so much out of that, but gives so much back. And in the meantime, he supported people with their social isolation loneliness and we managed to support him with his as well. And it's just that that's those type of stories is what matters to me because they're real people. You know, I can talk about strategy and stats and money to the and it's no my way anyway, but um, I could if, if that's what people wanted. But I like to tell real stories because I think the real stories of the real impacts on real people is what maybe triggers something in somebody else to think, well I could do that or I might look at that or, you know, that's how I feel. And having that empathy and that understanding I think is is really important. Those are some really, really great stories from, from real people. And I kind of wanted to think, well, as businesses, and you know, some of our listeners would be business, we work in business, what can business do to have a story that has that kind of impact, where often it's seen as the corporate face, not the human face? Do you have any, any advice to business listeners as to what they or their company could do to try and help? Yeah, I suppose, you know, for a lot of businesses, and and I know the situation's changed now, but before COVID, where we had really low employment rates, unemployment rates, so there was lots of competition there for people to come into workplaces. When you when you your workplace is attractive to people for those right ethical reasons. Um, where they, they realise, oh, well, I can get a couple of days a year to do some volunteering. Or, oh, actually, that's your preferred charity. That's something I'm interested in. You know, it, it, businesses can do so much more around about the full holistic package that they sell to an employee um, or to their current employees about, well, how can we make you feel, you know, part of your community? How, what can my business do to support, you know, the work that you do? And we've seen a lot of that in the, the COVID response as well. It's lots of small businesses, you know, lots of businesses who would not have thought about doing online deliveries or, you know, at-home deliveries when supermarkets couldn't meet the demand for, for that. We've looked, in my constituency in particular, lots of small craft shops, the butchers and the bakers and all that, who all say, well, we can do this pack and deliver it to you, you know, on Tuesday. And just that type of... People will go back to those shops and buy from them. They will access a service or a business who have had that sort of approach to you know, a time of national crisis. And if employees then feel, I'm really valued in this workplace, but I've also got something valuable to give that's separate from this workplace, but they support me to do that, then I think that's maybe a way that workplaces could, could work uh, and business could work uh, you know, with that very clear understanding about who are essential workers in this world? Well, we know who they are now, don't we? They're the supermarket checkout women. 
they're the guy that the porter and the cleaners in the hospitals, they're the nurses and their doctors, you know, and it, it's about understanding how important that is to people. If your business is not in that that area, then how do you make connections with those areas so that you show that importance as well? And I think uh, you then attract the best workforce and people that want to stay with you as well. Better workforce, happier workforce, better productivity, better outcomes, you know, better business, better economy. Thank you so much, Christina. I mean, if um, I would love to chat for hours about this, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people would want to learn more, listen more. And where can people find you? How can they get in touch and learn more? So I'm dead easy because I uh, love my technology. So I am on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I am on my ministerial email account. It's Minister OPE. I quite like to think that means Minister for Hope. <laughs> Although yeah. I did, I did get inter, inter, I did get introduced to a Carnegie conference where we were talking about because we've got a kindness outcome at the heart of our national performance framework. It's called, I got introduced as Minister for Kindness. I thought oh, I'll have that. I'll, I'll do that. Oh, that's, that's lovely. That's a brilliant, that's a brilliant job. It's a brilliant job description. You know, so you can get me at ministerope at gov.scot or you can get me at Scottish Parliament. Christina, you'll find me. There's a Christine that's not me. She's twenty years older than me. <laughs> <laughs> Catch me. I'm a Christina SMP on Twitter and Christina Ham on Lark Hall and Stonehouse and Facebook. Yeah, because I echo what Leanna said. Thank you so much for coming on Chamber Breakers. It's yeah, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Find videos and articles about this series on the Yahoo Finance UK site. And if you've enjoyed this episode, which I'm sure you have, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear more. Coming up next week, we're excited to welcome Kieran Mokar who has worked as Head of Trans Inclusion at Stonewall, as a trans youth worker at the youth group Gendered Intelligence, and an LGBT advocate. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm. 